Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, be with you and to be yours. God, we were not yours before Jesus. We chose to be ours. We chose to have us as our own God. And yet you won our hearts over through Jesus. All we had to do was hear the story of how you gave up your only son. And that attracted us and it drew us in by the spirit you gave us. God, I just ask that as we tackle this tough subject of suffering and we dive back into it this week, open our eyes to you. Open our hearts to you that we may hear you and understand you, understand a part of your character and a part of your intention and perhaps even a part of your glory. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen. Well, as we said, we're studying Job, and the big question we asked last week was, why? Why do Christ followers endure suffering? Why do Christ followers go through hard times? And the difficulty of that question is that it doesn't seem in the middle of hard times to be an easy answer why. Even if a fellow Christian reads to you from the Bible that your suffering is all about God's glory, In the moment, in the time of your suffering, that doesn't really help you very much, does it? It sounds like a pat answer. But we talked last week about how the why of suffering is directly related to hope. How the scripture says that when we go through suffering, it gives us an opportunity to choose through the power of the Holy Spirit whether or not we're going to continue in the faith. The Bible calls that perseverance. When we have the opportunity to bail on our faith or continue in it, then the Holy Spirit leads us to continue in our faith. That's called persevering in the faith, right? This, when we have, practice this habit over and over, becomes more and more a part of our character. And our character begins to trust God more in the hard times. And this reminds us of the hope we have. That ultimately, in the end, who wins? God wins, and because he's adopted us as his children, we win. Even though in the midst of suffering, we may not feel like it's going to be a winning situation. God promises, you trust in me, and in the end, we will win. Together, we will win by the power of Jesus. But you know, when you're in the middle of suffering, the difficulty of the situation may cause you to step back and ask how. Maybe even if I know the why, great, it's for God's glory. And, you know, maybe it's to grow hope in me and character and perseverance. How am I supposed to get through today if I'm in the middle of a very difficult situation? Well, I want to draw your attention to a story that happened in John chapter 9. It's going to start on the screen there behind me just for a little bit. This is a, um, this is a situation that, uh, that Christians often find themselves in when they're asking the question, How do I deal with the suffering going on in my life? Um, As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answers very provocatively, comes back and says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that, as we just said, the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. And night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We've established that God works 
uh, allows and works suffering in us so that he may be glorified and so that we may have hope. The work of God is this, the scripture says, that we believe in the one he has sent. So suffering only enters into our life for the purpose of showing and growing hope. Showing and growing hope. When that happens and hope begins to grow in us, then the more we go through suffering, the simpler it is to return to God as the source of our hope. Now, I didn't say easy, because if you're suffering, if you're going through something very difficult, it's not easy. And if somebody says a scripture to you, even in a well-meaning spirit, it's not easy to accept that word and to have hope in it, is it? But it is very simple. And the simplicity of it is this. There is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. In other words, if you're going through something really difficult, really trying, where you're tempted to drop your faith and walk away, you know that on any given day, you can return to God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, through what Jesus accomplished, you'll be received by him again. And in fact, if you dive deeper into the scripture, you'll discover that you never were out of his good graces in the first place. This is even if you choose to sin. You see, the body and blood of Jesus covers our sin that we haven't even done yet. But as we grow in the faith and as hope grows in us, we understand there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And even if I screw up and choose to screw up and do it again, I know that I can always see that light at the end of the tunnel. Now, maybe you're tempted to think that's not fair. It's not fair to God, right? No, it's not fair to God. But the best part is God doesn't care about that. The fact that it's not fair to him is not on his mind. That's a human concern. God allows that light to be at the end of the tunnel and stay there through the power of Jesus Christ. You can look at that and say, that's not fair. You're absolutely right, it's not fair. That is the beauty of the power of God. So that leads us to the question of how. How do I deal with suffering? How do I make suffering work in my life? Well, if we look at, just look at that story of Job and Eliphaz, Eliphaz is the friend who speaks up and tries to comfort Job. And here's what Eliphaz says. He says, but now trouble comes to you and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you're dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways, your hope? Now here's where Eliphaz goes wrong. Eliphaz is trying to take care of his friend. He's trying to give his friend good advice and comfort him. But what he tells Eliphaz is, is this, or what Eliphaz tells Job, rather, is this, that Job's piety, his choices in life, his good behaviors should give him hope. But what's wrong with that? He's going to go on and say, later on in that same chapter, and in the next chapter, he's going to go on and say that somewhere Job has messed up. So if Job had piety, which means good religious practice, if Job had favor with God because of things that he did well in his life, 
Job should trust and rely in those works and then go back to God and repent for whatever he did wrong to screw it up. That is a temptation that you and I have today when we have a friend who's going through something difficult. If you will pull yourself up by the bootstraps, if you will do X, Y, and Z, then you will have relief from your suffering. Now think back to the last conversation you had with a friend who was going through a difficult time, and the first thing that, was t- that you were tempted to have come out of your mouth was an answer to their suffering. What if you did this? What if you tried this? Some, in some form or fashion, there may have been a little bit of this untruth in what we try to share with people who are going through hard times. The idea, if they will just do this and correct this in their life, that their life will come back together and will find itself healed and fixed. Well, that's just bad advice. It's just like bad advice Mallard here who says, frying up bacon, go ahead and take your shirt off so you don't get grease on it. In other words, don't take the advice of somebody who says, if you fix your sin, then your life will come back together and be healed and made whole. If you fix your sin, your life will come back together and be healed and made whole. Now, we may have the opportunity to step back and take a look at our own lives and say, you know, some of my behaviors cause some of the suffering that's in my life. Sure, we can own that. But think about receiving that message from God. God doesn't say it that way. God doesn't share it that way. God doesn't expect it in that way. In fact, God changes the whole message and turns it up on its head and calls it something completely and utterly different. He makes it completely, obnoxiously, nonsensical, unbelievable, undeserved, and unfair. I'm going to show you another thing that Job says. Job says, what strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient? Do I have the strength of stone? Is my flesh bronze? Do I have any power to help myself now that my success has been driven from me? And remember what Job lost. He lost everything and he lost everyone. And he's asking the question, how can I be strong enough to still have hope? And as he's sitting there surrounded by well-meaning friends who are trying to advise him and trying to help him, he's not feeling the hope. He's not feeling that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, what he does is he even comes back and tells Eliphaz, you have proved to be of no help. You see something dreadful and are afraid. Think back to that conversation you had with your friend where you were trying to help them and trying to give them comfort, but your words were not helping them. They were falling short, and it's almost like it was hurting the situation simply because you were afraid of what to say or didn't know what to say. That happens to all of us. And in fact, we are tempted at some point along the way when we say something and it just doesn't resonate and it doesn't help and it doesn't ease to step back from that and just go, well, I tried. Kind of like Free Shrugs Guy. Have you seen Free Shrugs Guy where there now are Free Shrugs t-shirts? This comes as a play on words from Free Hugs. Now we have somebody who says that they'll give Free Shrugs. 
In fact, there's even a free shrugs muscle shirt, and the guy's not even shrugging in the picture. So it's kind of hypocritical, don't you think? We tend to step back away from our suffering or the suffering of other people and go, I don't know what to do with that. Maybe God allows that tension on purpose. Maybe God allows a void in their life or in your life on purpose so that we get and receive and understand at a very, very basic level. Sometimes we can't fix our suffering and sometimes we're not supposed to. Now, it's one thing to say, yeah, let's choose not to sin. Let's choose to, you know, turn away from some sinful behavior that we have in our life. But it's another thing entirely to say, you know what? Sometimes suffering just happens and we can't fix it. Sometimes we are completely powerless to do anything to fix it. And this is what drives us back to our knees where we could get before God and just simply cry out to God and say, God, you know, I should be able to fix this, but I can't. This was Job. This was Jesus in the garden on his knees, drops of blood coming out of his forehead, sweating, saying to God, you know, let this cup of suffering pass away from me. But then he says what? Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus saw the light at the end of the tunnel, which for him was what? Not only his own resurrection, but yours as well. He saw that and he drank the cup of suffering and endured it so that God would be glorified. Now, what about your suffering? or the suffering of those you love. What does that have to do with any of that? The Bible would say that it has everything to do with it. Your suffering is a way for God to grow you and to be glorified in you and through you. And the suffering of those you know is the same because there will come a time when Jesus will return on the clouds And how much suffering will continue from that day forward? Not one bit. He will bring a final, complete closure to all brokenness, all pain, and all suffering on that great day. You know, until he comes back, what God wants to hear from us is not how good we're going to do. It's not how well we're going to behave. He wants to hear from us what we are experiencing and how we're willing to share it with him. In fact, if we just break prayer down to this, it's the idea that prayer is not to be used as a way for you to bargain with God and say, God, if you just do this, then I'll do this. Or God, if I'll fix this up in my life, can I expect you to show up in this way? Prayer is not a bargaining table. Prayer is a cry for praise and for hope. Prayer is a cry for praise and for hope. The ability to call out to God and say, God, I can't fix this. There's nothing I can do. I cannot make people do stuff. I cannot make finance come together. I cannot fix my job situation or whatever it might be. I cannot make my family whole. 
whatever it may be, God wants to hear that word so that he can show up in the midst of it and heal and grow and strengthen and glorify and raise up. And when he does that, the how of doing that comes down to a conversation between him and you. And it's just as simple as this. Prayer is not intended to get something. Prayer is intended to just be, God, will you hear my voice, the brokenness of my life, or the greatness of my life, or the mediocrity of my life, or wherever I happen to be at the time. God, hear me. And God hears and speaks and heals. I love this scripture here that Eliphaz says. He says, this is before the interchange with Job. He says, consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? What is Eliphaz saying? He's basically saying this. If you're a perfect person, things are going to go perfectly in your life, Job. And Job refutes that because Job was, for all intents and purposes, a perfect person. If you look at the story, you could see that evidence. But still, what happened to his life fell apart, didn't it? The one who really does answer this question is Jesus. Because Jesus never did a thing wrong, and yet he suffered. Why of the suffering we understand? It's now that we turn to the how. How did Jesus get through the suffering he endured? How do you think he did it? He started, continued, and ended in prayer. What was it he said to his father right before he died? Receive my spirit. Take me back into your presence. He started the journey in the Garden of Gethsemane and ended it with prayer. So why do you and I fall to the temptation of trying to fix our own issues and the issues of those that we see having difficulty around us? It's simple. It's human nature. It's what is bred into us. But that's why we have Jesus. Jesus who prays and shows the way through suffering. Jesus is the one who makes suffering make sense and make it bearable. You know, one of my favorite scriptures is one that we refer to this week. It's Psalm 42. And this is kind of a song for those musicians in the crowd. If you read this psalm, you'll see that this particular chorus repeats a couple of times. Would you just read this with me? Let's do it together. Ready? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. If you look at the rest of that psalm, you could see that David is struggling. He's in the midst of his own suffering. His body is whole, but his heart's broken. And he cries out to God and says, all this stuff is happening and it's all bad. But then he comes back to this chorus again and again. He says, why, soul, are you downcast? Why are you looking down? Turn to God in the moment again and again. Let him be the source of your hope. 
Let him in prayer be there for you as he was for his son. Ultimately, that's why Jesus did it. Because he loved his father and wanted to be with him. And so he could show us the way in, through, and after suffering happens. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for your power. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to pray and talk to you. Not only when times are good, but when times just are awful. And all those times in between. God, we have taken prayer for granted at times. We've let prayer be some kind of a, like a, a cosmic a vending machine where we're trying to deal, do deals with you. God, forgive us of that habit and that pattern. Let us let that go and realize sometimes suffering cannot be fixed by me or by others. Sometimes you simply want it uh, for yourself, for your purposes. And if you choose to fix it in this life or not, God, to you be the glory. But in the moment as I'm in it, let me turn to you. Let my first impulse be to turn to you because Jesus makes that possible. He gives you to me as my father, just as he is your father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being all I need, the one that I turn to in the good and the bad. Worship you now, and we praise you, and we lift you up however uh, our hearts are this morning. In your name we pray, and together we say, amen.